I am Consciously Curious, a podcast for those that are searching for a career or cultivating meaning within their own space. We've had anesthesia providers to barbers, dog behaviors to airline pilots, white collar to blue collar, entrepreneurs to passion projects. Life's too short to not produce meaningful work. Join me, Victor Chan, as we deep dive within various industries. I'd love to hear your feedback, so feel free to leave a comment. I hope you find some value within these conversations, but more importantly, I hope it sparks a meaning within your own space. Our next guest is about to release their first original album called Speak Your Mind. He shares his journey of balancing a day job, being a family man, and pursuing his passion of music. It's no easy feat, and I think a lot of people can relate to the struggles of achieving success with their passion project. If you liked what you heard, you can pre-order the album on vinyl at the link in the description. Please enjoy my conversation with Tommy Perrazzo. Tom, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Look at that. It was <laughs> I, cool. As a, as a fan of the Bub Boys podcast, <laughs> we, uh, it's, uh, it's, an, an, it's, an, it's a void in my, in my heart. Yeah, you know, uh, before we started, you asked, are you going to ever bring it back? And Kevin and I always talk about... You know, are we going to get the Bub Boys back together? Are we going to, like, really hype this thing up and brand it and, like, make a YouTube channel and get merch and go on Twitter and, like, really just troll people and, like, get the name known? We all talk about it, and we just never get to it. I don't know why, you know, but, I've, I mean, when's the last time you listened to a Bub Boys podcast? Years. It's I'm not going to lie to you. I listened to one not too long ago, and it, it's just, it's a roller coaster ride, man. It's a shitstorm. <laughs> we did one with our good friend Tommy, and he lived in Chattanooga. He lives in Chattanooga, and <laughs> it's our notable favorite episode because it's just all gas, no brakes, <laughs> just three guys with terrible ADD, ADHD, and we're just, like, screaming at each other. We're talking about our favorite colors, like, you know, what's the best and worst fast food restaurant. Like, there is no rhyme or reason to it. We're... um. Your podcast is like this well, you know, groomed, beautiful thing, and our podcast was like the local circus. You know, I feel. Well, I mean, I feel like I'm all over the place as far as like the the num- like the type of guests. They're all they are all over the place. But that's good. But what maybe the common thread is like why why do you do what you do? Which yeah. is you know I'm here we're here to see like why do you play music? Where do you, yeah. like all that stuff, right? And uh, but yeah, I feel like I'm not. It's hard to grow an audience if there's no like underlying theme yeah or there's no central theme well i think with what you're doing though is you're talking to like people of all walks of life and kind of like asking what makes them tick Mm -hmm. really at the Mm -hmm. end of the day and i think that's a really cool angle to go on um where ours was kind of more like a comedy stitch type of thing where it's like you know i always had like a rough outline of our our podcast every time and we would (laughs) loosely follow it like i actually created like scripts so like if we wanted to do certain like little bits between Kevin and I um you know I would try to draw those out for us but yeah. you know Kevin would always get stoned before every podcast and he would just you know do this little he'd go <laughs> and like he would just giggle the entire time so like you know is the I, the the will was there but it wasn't really well defined and groomed like I said like you know like here we are we're in my my band room my yeah. recording studio right now what an but honor like you the temple it is I call it the beat dungeon um, I don't know. Actually, I never really named the room. Um, I think we were actually going to call it Pug Studios because I got dogs everywhere. Um, you can't really see them in the camera. 
I don't think so. But anyways. Um, yeah, shout out Mike, yeah, Mike Scroben. Yeah, shout out Mike Scroben <laughs> for that pug. Um, no, but like, you know, you have like the whole setup, man. Like, yeah. it's awesome. Like, you literally got the lights. You got the, you know, the the fancy camera equipment. We got, you know, the microphones. Everything's dialed in. It's cool. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's always growing. Yeah. Um, I mean, the first episode, very first episode, I think Marty was actually on one of the very first episodes. So, yeah. he was, uh, it was my current cell phone and a previous cell phone, and I left the old cell phone on the on the table for audio. And yeah. So I just, it's just one angle, cell phone, just... I mean, if you got a lot of people have the network, they're like, oh, I would I would be a great host because I know so many people that would love to share their stories. And it's just they they are crippled by like how overwhelming all this stuff yeah. is. And it's just like you just need some vessel to record your Absolutely. voice and go, you know, and it'll just Dude, evolve yeah. over time. Exactly. Like, you know, it starts super bare bones. I mean, you know, we when we started it, Kevin and I lived in different states. He was in New York and I was in Chicago. And it was just a way for us to kind of stay connected. Um, and it was like kind of really right on the cusp of when him and I actually started working on my my album. Um, it was just a way for us to just, you know, again, stay connected. He was about to get married and like, mm-hmm. you know, we just wanted to kind of grow grow his friends again um, because he had been gone for the past decade in New York, working for record labels as an engineer, sound engineer. And um, so him and I, we just went with the route of we both have garage band. And we just plugged our, you know, we got our microphones, plugged them into our computer, you know, the USB mics, you could do that. We both just, on the count of three, one, two, three, we both hit record. And then we were, we would just talk in the microphones and video each other, like, you know, oh. with Zoom. And we would do it that way. And then when we were done, I would just send him the audio files and then he would just link them up together. Right. And then we just did it that way. But um, Is there anything you would change if you were to bring it back? If I were to bring it back, I, I kind of mentioned this when we were talking, I would love to kind of do what you're doing where it's more of like a, a visual, right? Sure. I mean, podcasts are cool when you're driving, but like when I started listening to podcasts, I like the ones, you know, I, I plugging Joe Rogan like he needs it, but, uh, you know, <clears throat> um, you know, that visual I think is cool, um, to see like the facial expressions of the people talking. Um, I feel like it kind of grabs you more. And then what we would do too is during our podcast, like we would pull things up online, but like that would be hilarious because then you could see the screen share of us talking. And like, I think one episode we were talking about top five tapes Mm. and by tapes, I mean like scotch tape, duct tape, and like, you know, painters tape. We were talking about like the best brands. And then we were like Google searching them and we're like, Oh man, scotch guard, really good stuff, but not nearly as good as gorilla. You know, like it, it it sounds so stupid saying that right now. (laughs) But like as all over, uh, like all encompassing your episodes can be. Imagine how many Instagrammable clips you can pull. Yeah. And then what, you just saying that, I just see like you like throwing pictures of Scotch tape, duct tape all over <laughs> exactly. the Instagram clip, and you just have you just daily clips of bub boys. And yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, there was one episode. I got. I just you know it. it Again, it was just so all over the place that like there is so many just ridiculous one liners from it that like. It would be like a hodgepodge of dog shit, but like there'd just be like little bits of gold in it. And I think like the visuals, if I were to do it again, I would try to wrangle us in and be a little bit more disciplined. Mm. I think that's kind of what I would try to do. So, well, we're, yeah. we're holding our breath. Yeah. Everybody's, <laughs> you and about 15 other people are waiting with bated breath for the Bub Boys to come back. I mean, I will tell you though, like the people who did listen to it, they like did enjoy it. like Bub Boys, man. The Bub Boys podcast was great. I'm it's like, hard because I, is it, it's like it's a there's no niche right like you said like yeah. so it's the people that already know who you guys are and what mm-hmm. you're all about uh and 
I, I think of like Trevor Wallace and like he, they just ramble on their podcast yeah. too, right? But uh, because they have such a following, people they don't care. Yeah, they'll, they'll spend the time to listen. Listen, exactly. I mean, that's the thing. You build your audience, and then you can do whatever the hell you want. That's what I've I've come come to learn. Like, uh, <laughs> there was a comedian. He goes. Yeah, Jason Bateman. This is like Jason Bateman. He's like, oh, gosh, you know, like we started a podcast. I didn't think we would really get that great of a response. You know, it's not like I'm an Emmy Award winning and Grammy Award winning, you know, Emmy Award winning uh, actor who's been in the industry since I was a child. I'm shocked that people would follow my podcast. It's like, well, duh, dude. Yeah, yeah. You, you, got the, Come on. you got the base. <laughs> Meanwhile, some dudes from the Midwest, you know, we're, we're, you know, chomping at the bit trying to get, you know, get it, but. Well, you do it for the love, right? At the end of the day, like that's, absolutely, that's what keeps you going. Um, and uh, you know, tying it back to why you're here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I have been uh, a fan. I'm a fan of who you are as a person. I oh, told stop. you before we record, and I, you know, any any friend of Marty is is a, probably a, a decent human being, right? And uh, and like I told you, like I'm a fan of your daily Instagram, like just <laughs> little quips, and yeah. uh, it gets you going. It's yeah. uh, it just something to laugh at and your humor like your sense of humor and how you look at life i think i'm a fan and uh i think you're a good person to to talk to to navigate how does one balance cultivating their passion which you've been doing since you were a kid right Mm -hmm. music yeah and how how can you if you want to like how do you convert that side hustle into a a daytime a full-time yeah gig like and up until that point you're you're balancing a full-time gig with this yeah. side hustle right so how how does one navigate that right dude it's hard i mean you know i learned from a young age is uh, to never go hungry you know that stems from my dad um and always kind of teaching teaching me how to, to work you know and, and find work so like all throughout from pretty much honestly my first job i always held one to three jobs uh, you know when you're in high school you have part-time jobs so like I think throughout high school, I worked at a pizza joint, a banquet hall, and then I worked at a, another restaurant. Um, I was their first and last host. Uh, you know the, the the people that like seat you. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. I was I was stoned oh. all the time and <laughs> always showed up late, so it was you know no surprise that they canned me. But you know from that point on though, like you know I played music since I was in third grade. Started off with piano, and um, you know slowly ventured on into other instruments but like you know i was in band throughout school and um when i was 18 um i got a hold of a guitar and then i started kind of learning how to play guitar so like you know drums and piano were like the core of me learning music and then i kind of made that gap to guitar because i wanted to start writing more i took a bunch of poetry classes throughout like high school and uh really enjoy like reading about like spoken word and like the different types of styles of poetry intrigued me because you know as you know my sense of humor i like kind of quick-witted so um you know i kind of all started there but i'll tell you man like i don't feel as a musician i got uh good as a musician up until maybe four years ago. Oh. I remember I was sitting at my piano at my townhouse at the time, and I was day drinking, I was a little buzzed up, and I uh, one of the songs on my album, it's called Addicted. I was, you know, I played it on guitar, that's how I created the song, I mm. started from that, that uh, you know, avenue. But then I was like, well, how would I play this on piano? And then it's like, well, Tom, you learned on piano first, so you just draw the simulation. And it was like a lightning bolt hit me, and then, things all started making sense about like transposition, uh, you know, transposing music from one instrument to another and like chords and like facings. And uh, that all sounds, you know, like Latin right now. But the takeaway is, is from that point on, 
I kind of got this bug up my ass to learn new instruments. Like I draw so much inspiration from, uh, you know, learning multiple instruments. So like I just picked up the banjo about a month ago and it gets my wife white hot. Like she loves it. She gets super, really? she gets super sexed up from it. <laughs> she absolutely does it. She fucking hates it. She always just put the banjo away. God damn it. It's enough. You know, uh, but thanks. Shout out to Phil Erickson. Thank you, Phil, for that banjo. <laughs> was that his banjo? Yeah, it was. That's Phil. Oh, he gave it to me. He said, Tom, you're going to use it. I know you're going to use it. You know, have it. So, um, but what you're, I, I completely derailed. You asked, um, how do you take a side hustle and kind of make it into something because it's your passion? Uh, as of right now, I really don't have an answer, right? Because I've been an active working musician on top of my career since I was 18 years old. So I always had the steady income hmm. as a working musician. When I was 18, I got my older brother's ID and I'd walk into bars and I'd start booking us gigs. Um, I would just pretty much say like, you know, just give us a couple hundred bucks. We'll bring in some people. And, you know, over time, you know, we started getting more confident in ourselves playing the songs. I remember the first ba- uh, gig we played. It was, um, I want to say it was me, Marty, and a couple other guys. Yeah, I, the band was still together when I met Marty. Yeah, absolutely. But like, you know, Marty and I, we started in our group together and Ed Ray was with us for a while. Um, and then, you know, Matt Nelson hopped in eventually, but like our first show, we knew 10 songs and we played those same 10 songs for three hours, but we brought an entire, uh, like, I think we brought over 40 or 50 people to the bar on Thanksgiving night and the bar was elated. They gave us 300 bucks. They let us all drink and eat pizza and like everybody, everybody had a blast. You know, that was Durbin's and Palos Hills. Oh my God. Mm. But over time, you know, you just kind of become more confident with it and your brand, um, and I think that's kind of what boils down to is branding yourself and being confident within yourself. So, like, right now, you know, I'm ju- having a hard time of juggling, like, my career, my day job, and, like, trying to, like, push and promote this album now. Like, the past two years, I spent down here in this room staring at my computer screen, writing and, you know, pretty much recording all the parts to all these songs on this album. And now I'm, like, in the, the home stretch. Like, we're in mixing and mastering time. And it's like, shit, you know, I went to college for marketing and advertising. This should be second nature to me. And I'm just kind of sitting here like, I need to just start going on this, you know, because like I can actually make a profit on this if I actually go balls to the wall on it. So it's about just having that drive and perseverance to uh, just get out there and put yourself out there and also believing in yourself. Like, you know, it's funny as an outgoing person as I am, you know, I have my own insecurities. I deal with panic attacks and anxiety all the time. Um, Music has always been like a great coping mechanism. But I tell you, like, you know, being in a band we play around the Chicagoland area have since I was 18, we do a lot of covers, you know, because that's what people know and that's how we get paid. But like exposing my true self and my writing yeah. to people, um, that's like bearing a different part of my soul to people that I'm not used to. So, <clears throat> you know, part of me is anxious about it, right? Because yeah. cause you think like, what if people don't like it? True. You know, I'm always, I always, oh, sorry. Sorry about that. No, you're good. Um, that's like one of those things, like what if people don't like it? What if people don't like what I'm putting out there? And Kevin, you know, who's been, Kevin Mattella is my, I guess you could say my partner on this album. Because he's actually doing the the only uh, I don't do the drums on my mm. album. I play guitar, I play bass, I do the piano, I play slide guitar. Um, then Matt from my band does like some of the tasty solo sections. But um, you know, he told me he goes, Tom, you're doing this for yourself. Fuck what anybody else thinks. He's like, you, this is what you're proud of. Be proud of it and own it. 
if some people don't like it, they're not going to like it. He's, he's, he's like, I'm a prog metal artist. He's like, Tom, he's like, you know how niche that market is? He's like, imagine that, trying to like sell and promote prog metal. He's like, at least your music is all-encompassing. You know, at least you play like folk, rock, blues, country, you know, like, you know, you know funk. Like, he's like, you rock. Like, you, you, you're going to grab somebody along the way. So you don't feel, do you ever feel like a generalist if you're covering that many genres? I, you don't, this, I, or, 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 cause in a way in your bio, you kind of like say you, you're, it's a combination of three. So you're not like yeah. fully folk, you're not fully rock, but you have a combination of everything. Yeah. I mean, that's a good way to put it because man, I tell you, I, people ask me like, well, what's your style? Like, I, I don't know really how to describe it. I could just, I just say it's rock and leave it at that. But, but like some songs are like very jazz orientated, right? And I am not a jazz musician in the least bit. In fact, in school, I was a dog shit jazz drummer. Um, just, I'm too heavy handed. John Bonham was the reason why I started playing drums. And uh, he's from Led Zeppelin, in case people don't know that. If you don't know who Led Zeppelin is, come on now. Um, but, uh, you know, he was the reason why I started playing. Um, I picked up the sticks in seventh grade um, because this girl came to our school and she was like a virtuoso at piano. So I got kicked off the piano. <laughs> and, oh. uh, the girl, she's phenomenal. Uh, you know, no bad blood there, but my teacher was like, pick up the sticks. So I'm like, okay. And then the drums became like my thing. Um, but I'm a very heavy handed drummer. As you probably saw in the videos you were taking of me earlier. I'm loud. I drums in general. Are yeah. Loud, are loud. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I guess, you know, a generalist that's, I've never heard that term before, but I guess that's a good way to do it because like I dip my toes in every little pool, you know? Well, at the end of the day, it is for you. Yeah. You know, if you like folk, do folk. Yeah. You know, if you like rock, do rock, whatever yeah. it is. Absolutely, man. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you see, you see me. My record collection, I don't think it's on camera. No, it's, no, it's yeah, not. it's beautiful. Yeah, I got over like 2,000 records and, you know, I got I got hip hop, I got blues, I got, you know, old like Motown, I got you know jazz records, big band records, I have obviously an onslaught of classic rock, I got new music, I got old music, you name it. But, you know, as a musician, I'm constantly trying to hear different sounds to help inspire. Mm. Um, because that's what's kind of important, you know. Yeah, you say music is the universal language. Yeah, does that tie like other like, everyone around the world together in a way? Absolutely. So it's funny you say that. I was talking with a good friend of mine, uh, Fernando. Um, kind of, I think it was like Tuesday. We were talking, and uh, I was telling him a story about. I firmly believe that you know music is the universal language, and a good story is um, my parents, the the house behind them. When I was in high school, well, it was like right after high school. I think it was in my 20s. This, this younger couple moved in, and they were a young French couple uh, from France. And uh, the guy was like, you know, really a successful business guy, and he was over here for a period of time uh, on a contract. And um, anyways, they, they are very broken English. But, you know, if you knew my dad, he could talk to the wall and get it to speak. So, you know, they became friends and everything, but they had friends in uh, from France, join, uh, you know, like visiting and everything. And somehow my dad kind of came up on the topic of me being a musician and uh, they brought up the Beatles. So like, you know, my dad comes up to me, he's like, hey, uh, you know, neighbors behind you, they, they love the Beatles. You know a bunch of Beatles songs. Why don't you, uh, why don't you go over there and play? I'm like, I'm like don't they, uh, you know, I'm like. But they don't really speak English. How am I going to communicate with him? He's like, he's like, you got that. He's like, that right there makes it work. So, I don't know if you can see that guitar there. Oh, it's, oh yeah, yeah, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You got this. Yeah. that's that will do the talking. So, sure enough, I went there, and you know the the couple that lived behind them at the time they had just moved in, so you know very broken English, and then their their, their friends that were there didn't speak any. 
So it's like, um, I'm like, you know, what do, what do you guys want to play? And I just typed in Beatles on my phone, and they're like, oh, this song. And then so they showed me a Beatles song, and I looked up the chords, and we just all started singing and playing. And for like an hour and a half, I'm sitting with these people, and we don't speak. They were, they were playing with you. Yeah, we were singing together. And that was like super cool because like at that for that hour and a half, we all spoke the same language. And that is like beautiful to me. And, um, you know, everybody from all walks, walks of life will con- can come together for that moment because of music. And that's why I think it's so important, you know. So how many how many friends have you made through just going to shows and playing it sh- like playing and all that stuff? Dude, it's, it's, it's pretty wild because like Matt, Zach and I are acoustic trio. Matt, Zach, and Tom at Facebook. You can check us out. Um, our acoustic trio, like we've been together for seven years um, playing as the acoustic trio, and it's like two guitars, and I play the cajon, and Zach and I flip-flop on guitar, mm-hmm. and Matt just shreds on guitar. Um, but through those years, we have like developed all these like really close relationships. Um, the reason being is, you know, a lot of musicians will go up on stage and think that they're the greatest gift, you know, on earth to these people because they could play something. Yes, it's a privilege to play music, but don't take it for granted. But, you know, we go up there, we'll play. And if we see people enjoying it, you know, I'll, I'll mention to the guys, I'm like, I saw that couple over there or that couple. I'm like, let's go introduce ourselves, you know. So we would make it a point to kind of connect with mm-hmm. these people. And through that, man, I could like name at least seven or eight couples that we have met that are older, younger, you know, live in different states now. And we still talk to them that we have met through music and we've played private events for these people. We've done weddings for people like it's fascinating uh, all because we play at bars and, you know, venues and things like that. And we connect with them through that way. So through that whole process, because you say, you know, you you still go through and experience anxiety. Mm-hmm. So through that process of approaching even strangers, like what has that done for you personally? So it's interesting, like my anxiety, I don't know why, but like, like talking to strangers, that's something that never like bugs me. I could, ah. go, I could go walk up to somebody I've never met before um, and, you know, and, and start a conversation. Is it when you have to what, start talking about yourself or like what, what causes the, what do you think causes the anxiety? That's a really good question. Like, um, I know I was anxious right before we started. Oh. I was starting to feel pretty panicky. Just as we. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Because you were was, chill, like showing me around. Yeah, absolutely. Like right, right before you and I literally started okay. talking, I had a mini and panic attack. To let you know, I mean, if I were to come on someone else's show, I'd feel the same thing. Yeah. You know, and it's again because it's like I'm like almost like exposing, I'm showing myself, right? Sure. So uh, that's kind of always a little nerve wracking. Um, but also, it's like when I think something's like important, I think like I get a little anxious too. Um, you know, one thing I found is panic attacks and anxiety attacks, they're not too complex of why you're having them. Mm. Um, one thing I've learned is they're not this big mystery like. You know, the reason why I was having a panic attack before we started is I wanted to make sure I didn't sound like an idiot on the microphone. I Mm. wanted to make sure that I am talking in complete sentences and not swearing too much. I want to make sure that I am, uh, you know, not too ADD and bouncing all over the conversation with you. And then when I play the guitar in a little bit, I want to make sure I don't fuck up. (laughs) So, like, you know, like all those things run through your head, but like. When you you, you got to rationalize with yourself, and that's kind of something I I all the coping mechanisms help. But like, so before we start, um, you know those negative thoughts kind of pour in, and I just tell myself, number one, is that is that a productive thing to think about right now? Is that is that you know is that appropriate for you to think about this right now? And the answer is no, no, it's not. Um, you know, is, is it something that I can control? Yes. Well, then control it. You are in control right now, so then handle it. You know. Um, but then, you know, you, then there's like quick breathing exercises that you do. I think it's called like four, seven, six, where you breathe in for four, hold for seven, and then release for six. Oh. 
So those are things like that help um, if you're ever feeling anxious. Uh, Where'd you learn these things? Oh, man. You know, it's funny. I've been having panic attacks off and on since I was about 18 years old. And I never really kind of understood what it was until right before I graduated college. I knew I was going to come home. I was going to propose to Nikki. I was going to get married. And I was going to, you know, move on into adulthood. And that last year of college, I was having like maybe four to five panic attacks a week, a couple times a day each. I was working at a radio station at the time. It was just like I went from being a carefree stoner, you know, ran my own business type of guy in college to, oh, now you got somebody that, you're gonna, that relies on you. So mm. it was that big, like, leap in life that kind of caused that. Um and, you know, it, it's just kind of like real life, right? You know, like real life kind of creeps up on you and it's like, hey, you know, you're not a child anymore. So I think that's when those started really kind of kicking in. But again, for obvious reasons, right? I was about to graduate college. I was about to go propose to my wife, um, you know, barely had a pot to piss in. And, you know, it's just like I was going to make all these moves. So, yeah, of course, you're going to be anxious, yeah, right? Yeah. It's kind of a common thing. Um but then as kind of life progresses, like, you know, each year they kind of change. Like right now I get loads of anxiety with my current job because it's a high stress level job. Um, you know, I'm, I'm running, I'm running a, a company right now uh, for a couple of owners and I oversee a staff of like 10 and, you know, trying to take care of the day to day and implement all these changes. It's a startup and it's, it's a fucking mess, you know? So my problem is with that. I think the reason why I'm experiencing so many panic attacks with that is because I'm, you know, I'm like bearing myself to it. It's like, I'm, I'm, you know, as we mentioned, like my brand, right? This is me. And it's like, if things are fucking up, then I think it's on me. Hmm. I feel like I'm the fault. I'm at fault. I'm the problem. So, of course, you know, I'm just like completely burned out from it right now. And it's, How often have things gone right? More than they've gone wrong. Hmm. That's a good question. I mean, that's, yeah. do, you, do you celebrate those wins? So part of unfortunately being like a, it's funny because I call myself a perfectionist, but I am very rarely ever perfect. I make <laughs> mistakes so much, right? But like um, when something good happens, I try to like compliment myself. But it's funny because, you know, I'm hard on myself, but I'm great to others, Right. But one thing I've learned is if you're not kind to yourself and you don't love yourself, how are you supposed to be kind to others and love others? You know, how are you supposed to, if you're not healthy, how are you supposed to be the supporting block for somebody else? So, you know, it's like you have to kind of build yourself up in order to, you know, be there for other people. So, um, yeah, celebrating the wins is super important and understanding the losses, um, and trying to let them roll off is even more important because I have a problem with letting go of things, um, you know, if if I make a mistake. But, again, that kind of rolls into the whole OCD and, you know, uh, perfectionism type yeah. of thing, that, that that area. So so what what's uh, what's the title of your role? I'm uh, the executive director of oh, this wow. company. Yeah, but I'm a glorified fucking property manager. Uh, <laughs> That's what I thought it was, but okay. Yeah, okay, no, so... I – yeah, so I ha- I'm supposed to – not to bash them. No, I, yeah. You know, try my best not to. Um, I was brought on to this company to oversee the day-to-day, focus on sales and growth, hire people, bring people on, and get the business off the ground. Um, but instead, I have just been pretty much managing a massive portfolio of properties and really haven't been focusing on sales and growth. Because um, you, you like real estate. I enjoy seeing all, yeah. the, all the places you share. Yeah, you know, it, that, that aspect's awesome. Uh, but <laughs> managing multifamily units is exhausting. Um, it's just, 
it, that's it's just it's crippling because like you just do so at the end of the day you're dealing with somebody's dwelling right so yeah, yeah. um if you have a leak in your unit right for example um you want to fix right away obviously uh, yes anybody yes. would right but sometimes there's hoops you got to jump through with that because if you're living in a condo, meaning that you own it and you're in a condo complex, which is an association at the end of the day, it's up to a board of directors who are appointed by your association. They're volunteers at the end of the day. It's their job to say yes or no to work. Us at the end of the day are liaisons. We're glorified liaisons. Even though our titles say manager, we literally... Just listen to them. Yeah. Okay. We we could advise till we turn blue in the face, but if they say no, then that's it. You know. Um. But like you know, I have uh, a massive pothole at one of my properties right now. It's been there since April, and the board still hasn't approved it for that pothole to be fixed. And people keep getting flat tires. Keep sending them the oh proposals. They keep saying no, no. We just want to get the whole road replaced. I'm like, well, then just throw a cold patch in. It'll take literally fucking half hour, and maybe two hundred bucks. That you know, it's not that expensive. You know, but. They don't want to do it. So it's like that's aggravating because you have to constantly you're the no person for people instead of being the yes man. You are literally telling people no all the time. You are a rule enforcer. out of your control. Yeah. It's yeah. frustrating. And I think that's kind of one of the things I'm learning about myself is uh, it's funny. I used to be just such like a carefree and like free spirited guy. And I become such like almost like a not a control freak, but like I want to be more in control of my life and the decisions I make and, and everything. But I am literally in a job and in a position where I have no control. Even and, though you're like at the top. Yeah. That's so wild. Oh, it's mental. <laughs> uh, is this something that you thought you'd be doing out of college? Um, No, I did not think I would be in property management all out of college. I ended up getting a job at a bank because it had benefits and stuff like that. I was making, you know, no money like at the, the time. first adulting type job. Yeah. I put on my big boy tie and, you know, I had to shave my face all the time. And, you know, my nose looks even bigger without any facial hair. So it's like, God damn it. Um, but yeah, no, you know what? When I was at the bank, it was it was great. Um, but I just wasn't making any money. And, you know, my wife is in the medical field. You know, she's a nurse and she was the breadwinner for like three years. Sure. And um, well, she almost was because I was actively gigging at that time, too. So. I make a good living on top of my actual job playing music. So I was able to kind of supplement my, you know, poor income with music. But, like, it was getting tiresome, the fact that, like, you know, I'm not bringing in an adequate amount of money, and my wife is having to kind of bear all that with, you know, the big paycheck and stuff. Um, so you felt pressure? Yeah. Well, and then What did you think you were going to do? Yeah. So that was the thing. I did not realize that I was going to go into property management. That was the next step. That was. Why Why didn't you feel, did you not feel like your music was ready to go all in on that? No, you know, I mean, that's the thing. At that point, we were still just doing a lot of covers. I was just kind of finally getting comfortable in writing, oh. like, fluidly. I think it was around 2012 when, like, 2010 is, 2008 to 2010, I was actively writing a lot. I just wrote a lot, like, poetry. And then between 2010 to 2012, I finally started getting, like, okay at guitar. And by okay, it means I just learned all chords. But, like, you know, I'm a sloppy player. So, um, but I just used it as an avenue to try to create songs. But then, like, after 2012 is when things kind of started to click. And, like, you know, I started becoming a better guitar player. Um, but not really, like, you know, uh, proficient. But, you know, at that point, I did not feel confident at all. 
And, you know, sometimes I still don't feel confident playing. Um, I yeah, played, you said four years ago? Yeah, like, yeah, it feels like four years ago. You know, fast forward to 2018, that's like when things started, I started feeling actually comfortable. My voice started getting better because I'm singing with Zach all the time. You know, Zach's in my band, and he's uh, just, you know, him and Matt, like, are great people to, to learn off of. Um, part of the reason why, you know, I, I love playing with him is Matt is by far one of the most talented guitar players that I've ever met in my life. Uh, I could pick up a song like that. Um, you could look at your chord facings and just figure it out, and then you could solo off of it. Um, but that's what he focuses on, only guitar. Zach is by far one of the most talented vocalists I've ever heard in my life. He's got the voice of a raspy angel, as I always tell people. Um, you know, he's just, he's phenomenal. And, um, you know, and then here comes me. I'm just, you know, massive ADD, and I know how to play multiple instruments. You know, so uh, everything mediocrely. Uh, is, is mediocrely a word? I you just know. made it a word. I made it a word. Goddamn right. Um, <laughs> but, you know, um, like I was great at drums, but then I ended up hitting a wall with it. And I just kind of got bored of it. I got sick of lugging them everywhere, oh. um, you know. And I was like, guys, let's do the acoustic trio thing. I'll play a cajon instead. So it's a box drum, and then I could sing more, and I could work on kind of being better at guitar. And, um, you know, over the years, I just learned from Matt with guitar, and then Zach was singing, and learn how to harmonize better as you kind of heard on yeah. some of the songs you're like who's that other person singing I'm like that's me harmonize you're like oh <laughs> you know and it's funny because like i don't even think i'm a great singer either um like i again like there's numerous people there are thousands of people that are out there that are better than me musically i know that um i just enjoy playing so much and uh you know again a lot of this is for me but like you know, after my dad died, I kind of told myself, like, it's it would be absolutely selfish of me not to share all the stuff I've written. Because I've written over 100 originals um, in counting. I feel like I kind of come up with a new progression weekly, and I plug it in on the computer so I have it saved at least. Um, and that's when I, after my dad passed, it was, I got, like, really hell-bent on documenting all my music. Because I would be livid if I, I like, mm. abruptly passed, and all my music just was gone from this earth so at least want to have my kid to have that you know so that's why i kind of just started diving into making that making it out there you know pushing the music out out of out of all the instruments you play do you feel like there was one that really helped things click and i have a feeling it's the guitar but like yeah what like every instrument has a role um but does one kind of end up being the hero of each song or song music in general yeah you know that's that's a really cool question because i um part of the reason why i like playing different instruments and learning different instruments is because what i may do on banjo like the way you play banjo is different than the way you play guitar it's also tuned differently so like i'm learning actually how to solo better and like actually do riffs because of that banjo like i wasn't able Mm. to do things on there before um, whereas like, so, so before I trail off to answer your question, um, you know, guitar was kind of the, um, I guess you could say the avenue that I would, um, God, what, what do they, what do artists, painters say? Like it's my like vessel or yeah, like it's like whatever their, their medium. medium, like my medium is guitar for a while, but then actually when we moved here about four years ago and the piano came here, I finally tuned up the piano. And I started playing it more and more. And I I pretty much put the guitar down for like six months or so. And I just started playing piano more and more. And a lot of songs came from piano. And um, that's because 
you know, visually your hands are right in front of you, right? Yeah. So you're being able to actually see, like, on the guitar I'm doing, like, an A chord, but here, oh, okay, I'm seeing the A chord here. And then, like, an A7th or, like, an A9th or an A7th diminished and looking at all these chords and, like, visually seeing it now. So then when I go back to there, I can be like, oh, that's how you do that on guitar now. So it's like they played off of each other. Really? Yeah, so it's kind of, it was that was super fascinating for me because there's a couple songs on the album that I play piano on that are piano-driven songs that, again, like, I don't think I would ever been able to write that on guitar, you yeah. know? And then, like, that other song that I showed you before that, I, like, you know, it's not going to be on the album, but it's a song It took me, like, like six to eight months to get the piano part down. But, again, that song is a, literally a piano song. So if I were to play that on guitar, it would sound completely different. It wouldn't have the same dynamics. So um, I think like having those different vessels allows me to be creative and to write more. So um, you know, guitar, where as you said, it's kind of pardon me uh, the the winning the the winning instrument, the one I usually kind of grab first. I feel like piano is like the second, or sometimes the first. So, I mean, every day when I come home, I usually walk in the house, take a piss, and I go straight to the piano and I mm. just play for like ten minutes. Mm. You know, um, put those but, reps in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, say with the banjo, you know, it's like I, I'm like hell bent. It's funny. I told myself this year I would learn how to play banjo, and um, I'm working on it. I understand the like the, the basics of it, um, but I need to start like I need to convince Zach and Matt to play banjo. Are you just pretty much self-taught? Um, no. So, Besides you know, the drums and piano, or sorta. So like you know, I was in school band growing up. So like from third grade, I started taking piano lessons all the way to like oh. sixth or seventh grade. And then, like, I was in band all throughout school, but in band, I was a, per- a percussionist. So, like, I played, like, the marimba and the xylophone and the timpani and, you know, like, played all these different instruments and stuff like that. And I would occasionally play the drums. So, like, um, we were a marching band and stuff. And, you know, I was that, they call us the auxiliary, where you were literally all the, like, accented instruments and stuff. So, I think that's where my knack for wanting to pick up different instruments comes from. Drives mm. Nikki crazy because I always just kind of, I don't even tell her anymore when I get new instruments. I just kind of, like, leave them here. Um, like that guitar that's directly behind me. It's a 12-string. I got it a couple months ago, and she, she won't know about it. Hopefully she doesn't listen to this. If so, Nikki, I'm so sorry. It was really cheap, I promise. Um, but, yeah, no, so, yeah, you know, so, I guess you could say I, I was kind of classically taught, but I didn't really. It's funny because I don't feel like I really understood reading music until. I was going to ask, like, where does one start if one wanted to get into one of these instruments? It's like, in general, do you think it's wise to just, like, just like kind of reading a book? Like, so when you read a book, when you're cultivating the skill to read, read what you like. Mm -hmm. So when we translate that to music, when you're trying to learn the guitar, learn the drums. Would you listen to some of your favorite songs and kind of just mimic that? Absolutely. Or would you go back to the fundamentals and start with the fundamentals and learn sheet music and learn, like, chords and stuff like that? Like, And I'm sure it's different for everyone. Right? Yeah. But, like, what do you think helped you the most? You know, there's no right way to learn how no, to play music, right? right? It's just like there's no right way to be a parent as long as you just don't let it drop it on its head or let it choke on food or something <laughs> like that. But, um, but with music, like... You know, for me, what actually finally sparked me to want to actually be really into music was in seventh grade, um, picking up the sticks and learning about Led Zeppelin. I remember Marty introduced me to Pink Floyd and Grateful Dead when we were, like, in seventh and eighth grade. At that point, I was listening to, like, Van Halen and, like, 80s rock because that's what my brother Jimmy was into. But then, like, 
started diving into Led Zeppelin and like the Stones and the Beatles and all that those classic rock gods. Um, and I picked up the sticks and I would just kind of play along to that. Um, but you know, at some point you got to kind of like bridge the gap, right? So you could always be an ear listening person, but it's good, I think, to learn the theory of music mm. because things will make more sense then when you're actually trying to write. Like there's a song I remember I wrote, I think it was 2015. And it's funny because I just got done reading a book, which is kind of an anomaly because I don't really read too often because I don't know how. No, I'm joking. Um, but I just got done reading a book. It was actually a really cool book about like this um, guy who was like truly like the reincarnation of like Jesus, but everybody was out to kill him because they thought like he was a hoax. And I don't know if it was actually like a religious book, but it was kind of like it was dark. Like at the end, he ends up getting killed and stuff like that. But I ended up writing this song and it's called Beyond Beyond. And it's going to be on the album. And um, I remember writing the song. I just wrote the lyrics first, and I wrote the progression and everything. But they're actually two different. They're in two different keys. Um, the like the verse is in one key, and the uh, the chorus is in the other key. And it's interesting how they actually work. So like, um, can I do this? Yeah, please. So like, the song is like. here so I don't look like an idiot. No, you're good. <laughs> no, no, no. This is what it's all yeah. about, right? So the reason why that's interesting, though, is it's actually in... It's in D, I believe. So this, the actual progression is actually in E. So so it's like the echo of my mind, the moon, the grass, the trees, it's more than you and me. Water flowing, ever so gently falling through the lives of millions that we don't see. It's more than you and me now, girl. It's more than you and me. Look up beyond what you see. Behind what lies, behind what you see. It's love, it's the most amazing thing, well it really is a thing. So, yeah, I mean like with that though it's kind of cool because at that point I didn't really know, I didn't really know shit about theory. Um, I mean you think I would because I, again, was like taught in school, I'll turn the volume off on this thing. Yeah, it's just like how how often or how long did it take for you to feel comfortable riffing and and making like writing? Um, it took a while, you know. Like, I would. It's funny because, like I said, I have like over a hundred songs that I've written, and a lot of them are kind of unfinished. But they're finally I'm getting to the point now where I can finish songs. Like you know, some songs when I initially wrote them were beyond my capacity. What's what's so hard to finish? What do you mean? Sometimes you'll get into like a writing block with a song. I okay. find like words. Oh, writing lyrics. Yeah, writing lyrics can gotcha. be tough. Or like I could come up with a cool riff, but then I just don't know where to go from there because I don't want it to sound like another song. Mm. Because there's only so many you know 
keys you could play in, right? So um, sometimes you need, and that's why I like to play other instruments, I like to listen to so much different music because it all unlocks like a sound. It does, it does, know? yeah. So like, um, you know, there's, uh, I'm trying to think what song it was. Like the one song on my album is called Talking About Love. Um, uh, it's a piano forward song and it took me forever to be able to sing and play it. And um, I was only, I only got two verses in it. Uh, so it was verse, chorus, verse, chorus. Then um, I wanted a guitar solo, but I still needed a third verse because a lot of my songs you'll find are usually just two verses. Mm. And I, I, I kind of, you know, musicians do that. That's fine. But like, you know, I have the capacity to be able to write more. I should. So when I actually went to record it, I actually just ad-libbed the third verse. Um, and it, it like in the song, it says like, you know, I've written a thousand love songs, but I've never finished one. And that's how, like, I started that verse. Because, again, like, you know, when I would write, like, really meaningful songs, as I was kind of telling you, I'd hit, like, writer's blocks all the time. So, like, and that was one of those songs. I just hit a writer's, hit, like, hit a block on it, and it just sat for a while. So then I was like, you know what, maybe just record this. I know there needs to be a verse there, and then just jump at it, you know? So I did, and I ended up creating the third verse just by fucking word vomit, you know? And then, like, kind of honed it in, you know, mm. like, uh, take after take. And that's the same thing with another song in the album called Turn You On. It's only like, I only had two verses on it originally. And that song, Turn You On, is actually like kind of a, it's like it's like a fuck you to like cliche modern music, like, you know, mm. pop music and how it's so, um, <laughs> it's just so like the same, same. Generic. Four, yeah. So generic, the same four chords and all that stuff. And, um, um, you know, the, the, the chorus line to the song is meant to be kind of just like a, you know, catchy. The, just, yeah, yeah, exactly. It, the chorus is like dance all night. Yeah, yeah. So it's like uh, it's pretty funny because it's like uh, uh, I took this disco ball and I spinned it around. I took the smoke machine, baby, and I blew it in your face. I took that black light in, and I turned it on. I mix this modern music, baby, and I mix it all wrong. Gonna dance all night, and baby, feel alright, so come on. Dance all night, and baby, feel alright. So, yeah, but, like, you know, the rest of the song goes on to say, like, you know, it's just like a slap of the face. And then, like, the third verse, sorry, the third verse, though, it's like I didn't have. Mm. And I pretty much was like, um, you know, uh, I took a three-chord song and I gave it a beat, um, threw in, like, a bass line, and I started to sing. Like, that's, like, literally the third verse. I didn't know what to do. So I was like, all right, we'll just talk about how you made a cheap song, you know? Uh, so And that's true because, like, you know, that, the, the But wh- where did that come from? Yeah, I don't right because I, I think it was because I'm like I'm making such a cliche song right okay. now. I might as well just go full set <laughs> on my sarcasm on it, you know? Because uh, uh, like this, uh, it, it's just it, the songs. It's goofy, but like, you know, 
you got to kind of get over those humps. And I sometimes feel like some of the songs I've written, they're not meant to be completed yet. Like, you know, um, they weren't meant to be completed at that point. Is there any part of you that's impatient? Oh, God, yeah. I'm a very impatient person. I want, like, instant gratification. I'm one of those people that want fucking results right now, you know? Like, I, I hate that. And, like, my skin crawls when I don't see, like, instant results. You know, that's, it's, 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 uh, you know, it, it, it's it, definitely a personality flaw. But then, you know, you double down on the ADD and it's just like, well, I guess I'll do something else around, you know? It's yeah. Just... <laughs> yeah, to just kind of, you know, avoid the, you know, the the stress that you're feeling because you didn't get a you know, instant feedback. But, um... Yeah, I, I grow impatient with songs from time to time, but um, very much so at the beginning when I first started recording because it's kind of a weird gap to jump. You know, um, with recording, you have to record to like a click track. And what a click track is, it's a metronome. Um, and it's important to record to a click track because if you're not in the same room with other musicians, you go to send it to them. If you're off time, then they're going to be off time and the drums are going to be off uh, time. and then It won't someone, line up, right? Yeah, it just um, sounds like shit then. And I learned the mistake from that when we first started because that song turn you on it was like the second song or it was the first song i recorded for the album and we were about to you know mix it yeah. a couple weeks ago yeah i mean it was actually about a month ago it was the beginning of may and kevin's like tom this is a mess he's like it's been you know it's like you recorded this in 2019 i think it was it was like september 2019 so like i even recorded the drums on it and it was just it was sloppy he goes you need to redo it he's like you'll, you'll be done with it fast i recorded the entire song in like maybe four hours so like the wow. the song turn you on on my album i was able to record the bass the lap steel vocals with the harmonies and the rhythm guitar and the piano all to it in like four hours i sat down and i'm like fuck i gotta get this done because i we gotta kick this album out in like a month so i did it and he kicked it out and everything was in time but like it's important because you know kevin you know wants to go throw drums on it if I'm not in time, then how is he going to hit those, you know, dynamic hits, those breaks and things? So it all kind of like has to line in. So when I first started playing, though, that was the hardest thing is actually playing on time. And it's, you know, something maybe somebody who would be listening wouldn't quite notice, you know, like or I don't want to say a layman because it's not like, you know, we're these, you know, specimens. But like, <laughs> you know, but like, you know, someone may not like notice that unless they have like a fine two ear. But like for me, it's like that like those little things that need to be Absolutely. done correctly. So. Which begs the question, it's like, when's the last time you impressed yourself? Um, Musically? In general. In general? Fuck, I don't know, man. I'm hard to please. Uh, <laughs> For yourself, right? Your harshest critic? Yeah, oh yeah, I always have been. Um, and, you know, I think that's part of the reason, too, why I get panic attacks is because, like, you know, I'm really hard on myself. And I, you know, I, I say count, countlessly, I say time and time again, I'm not like... Uh, I'm not uh, in competition with you. I'm not in competition with anybody. I'm in competition with myself to try to outdo myself from yesterday. I want to be a better version of myself every single day. And if I'm not, I beat myself down about it. I get it. You know, not every day is a good day. And we're going to have down days. But, like, you know, I expect a lot from myself. Um, and, you know, that's kind of hard to do, though, because it's like that wears me out. You know, mm. expecting a lot for myself. But yeah. when have I impressed myself lately? Um, musically, I would say, you know, just being able to finally wrap this up is really exciting. And uh, I think the response so far with my songs has been good. So that's kind of relieving in a way for me. Um, you know, so I think I'll be really happy once it's all out there. Mm. Um, Impress-wise, I think like that, you know, 
but musically wise, I don't know. Uh, I'm constantly learning and growing, so I, I don't even know when. Uh, when have I been impressed with myself? I don't know, Victor. Um, <laughs> with work, it's funny. Um, you know, I'm, I'm obviously frustrated with it, but like last week, um, I returned to work uh, and, uh, you know, I closed three, three, three uh, new properties that we're going to manage. Wow. And um, when I came on, they were about to lose three. And that would not be good for a new business to be losing properties. Well, I brought on three. So our books are balanced again, thank God. Um, and for a small startup, you know, that's detrimental. So, you know, that was really important to me to show like, hey, yeah, I know I can do that. Like sales has always been one of those things and the gift of gab and connecting with people mm-hmm. on a mm-hmm. human human level has always been something I've been good at. So um, that was that made me feel really good. Um, also, placing people in jobs is something I've also been kind of really happy with. Like since I've been at my job, I've placed over 10 people in four months at different jobs um, within different companies uh, with where I'm at. And um, that makes me feel good. I, I think as I want to leave the industry I'm in, um, I found that I want to do something that is more towards helping people and kind of getting that feeling of satisfaction from making others happy because I'm a giver, unfortunately. And that's why I kind of beat myself down so much is because I want to give and want to help so much. But it's like, well, why not like get a job in recruiting or, you know, do something with, uh, you know, job placements or, you know, whatever it may be and like try to help people out that way, you know? So So what, what could be the next move if you were to leave uh, property management? You know, man, I tell you, I've, I've applied to over a hundred jobs in a week and a half. Um, just thinking about what the next move is and as I'm applying to like literally everything um, because I want to try to find something remote right I'm trying to find what everybody's trying to find which is a work slash life balance you know um, one thing I learned from my my dad passing is that guy was a workaholic Um, provided to our family to a T was amazing Uh, he was always home for dinner but he worked a lot you know and I commend him for that because he gave he gave us everything we wanted or needed. He was a great provider and a loving man. But one thing I don't want is I don't want to be gone all the time. I want to be present for my kids. I want to be like there all, all the time. And I want to be able to, you know, if, if I'm working from home per se or if I'm in the office and I have to leave in case my kid's sick, I want to be able to leave and not have to worry about it. Like right now, if I leave the office, it's like, you know, what are you doing? You know, it's like, you know, mm. fuck off. Um, <laughs> but anyways, it's just uh, like, you need to kind of have that blend. And for me, I think at a mental capacity, it's like, I don't want my work to be what defines me as a person. You yeah. know, so many people define themselves by what they do for a living. Yeah. You know, when my dad died, people didn't say, oh, Jim was an amazing insurance broker. He was an amazing insurance agent. No, they said that Jim Perazzo was an amazing man and would give his shirt off his back for anybody that needed it. You know, Um, I'm not, you know, I don't want to die and people say, oh, man, Tom was a great property manager. He was very fair to people. I don't give a shit about that. You know, as long as I can make an income to keep a roof over my family's head and keep food on the table, that's what I care about. I I wrestle with that. I wrestle with, with, not letting work take over as your identity because yeah. it, it shouldn't. You have other parts of your life that are meaningful as well, but we do spend a considerable amount of time yeah. working. So how do we f- find meaning through yeah. that? Well, so here's the thing. Like, think of it this way. You and Marty finally made that leap to do something that you guys are 
passionate about, but also make an income off of, right? So um, it's like your guys, your niche, right? So you found something. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I felt burnt out my third year in. Yeah. Because I'm teaching the same thing over and over yeah. again. And I'm not even on an ambulance anymore. Yeah. Right? So I feel that imposter syndrome of like teaching something oh God, I'm not an word. active participant yeah. in. So it took a few friends to like remind me that like, well, this is something that you at least moderately enjoy. This is definitely something that you're good at. And uh, and think about all the different people, even though you feel like you're teaching the same thing over and over again, but all the different people you come across every year mm-hmm. and in any industry you're in, you should be cultivating. It's a relationship game, right? Yeah. Whether that's hospitality, property management or teaching. And, you know, to be like recently, I shot a wedding uh, for, for a couple that I met through the class. I've been invited to weddings uh, to people that have met through the class. Yeah. Right. It's just like, it's crazy. It's like, it's not just EMT stuff anymore. It's just like a meeting, just people. Yeah. And it's, you're in an interesting spot because you, you have the ability to, to help people, but people like, it's just, there are force external forces that might hinder you from, from doing that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's aggravating. You know, um, it's funny because about a year and a half ago, um, right before my dad passed, I wanted to get out of property management and I was planning on leaving. And our last conversation we had was about what would I do next? And we had been having that conversation January and February when he passed in February. We never got to finish that conversation. And it was the most aggravating thing because like I knew I wanted to get out of property management. So I jumped to a construction company to do sales because I knew, you know, it'd be more flexible and, you know, I was great at it. And, but then I got cherry picked to jump into this job. Um, so I left that job after like eight months to go do this. But it's funny because like in my contract, I said, you know, I don't want to manage properties. I want to manage people. I want to help with growth. I want to do like the big picture stuff. They said, yeah, sure. No problem. Sure enough, I'm managing 30 fucking properties right now. You know, like I'm totally fine with being flexible, but I'm getting like absolutely railed with no lube. And like I'm just it's a little frustrating. Um, but you know what? I mean, the one thing I've always I know about myself is I will always be able to find work and I will never go hungry. You know, those are all those kind of things that my dad taught me. It's just, you know, just yeah. the, the frustrating thing of I don't want to be a job hopper, you know. So at this point when you're about to and this is going to be your first solo album. Yes. So at this point when you're about to release your first solo album, like, is there any part of you that wants to make the full leap into music full time? And that being said, it's like, will you ever make the leap full time if you always have this stable job? You know, that's a really good question because it's like I obviously have the stability of, of a full-time job. Um, would I ever, you know, make the like, leap into Are, are you hungry enough to pursue the marketing, to, yeah. to put out the social media, to keep pursuing gigs, like to pursue music yeah. full-time? You know, one thing I learned about some of the friends that I know that are in the industry and are actively like professional musicians, I mean, I would consider myself a professional musician, but like people that are like famous, well-known, um, you pretty much have to give up everything. Mm. You have to literally be on the road 24-7. You have to, you know, or you're constantly, you know, marketing yourself. You're out there. Now, you know, I'm at a different point in my life where I have a kid, you know, and a wife and a home and bills to pay and all that. So I don't know how I would be able to split time with that. It's funny because Zach and I always talk about it. I'm like, you know, I don't even know if I would want to be like super famous. Maybe like just mildly known would be cool. I don't even, to be honest with you, though, I would rather be rich than famous. Because it's like, you know, whatever, I don't want to be walking around and people constantly hounding me about, you know, who I am and, oh, you know, you're so great or I didn't like the way you sounded on that, you're dog shit, you know, it's like, you know, leave me alone. Um, Would I make the full leap? I don't know, you know, like, I would love to. I mean, music's always been my passion and it's obviously my drive, but like in the same light, 
I don't think I could give up what I have here. Uh, that's just not a sacrifice I'm willing to, to take. So it would have to, again, be a work-life balance situation, right? How do you blend the two together and make it cohesive? So at least like right now, you know, I'm like play gigs on the weekends. I work during the week. Um, and that's even hard being out, being away from, mm. you know, Nikki and Santino, um, you know, because like, you know, on the weekends. You want to spend time with them. Yeah. yeah. You know, so that's the hard part. So it's, you know, it's that internal struggle. Um, yeah. So I don't know, man. I mean, like, I enjoy the passive income that I make off of it because it helps me buy all the toys I need and, you know, yeah. like, and, you know, takes care of us for tr- extra trips so then we could just truly save from our careers and put that into the nest egg and stuff like that. But, um, you know, like, with this album, I mean, I'm hoping to make somewhat of a profit on it because I mainly just want to pay Kevin for all of his time on mixing and mastering and playing the drums on it and him just constantly taking text messages from me about ideas and the dude literally sat through you know every bit of this you know process with me and like you know talking over things and then matt who's in my band you know he was doing some of the guitar solo parts on the song you know i want to be able to give him some money because you know he spent a lot of time doing that and then of course zach uh who i would always bug about making sure i sounded in tune when i sang you know so like although it's a solo album it's you know it's it's not because like i had my be- all my best friends there helping me you know so like i feel like i should say that it's actually just an original album kind of feels like you're living the dream just yeah. being able to spend that much time doing what you love with yeah. the people you love yeah you know i mean and it's funny because you know music obviously is it, may, it brings so much joy to my life um and obviously work brings brings me down because it's a pain in the fucking ass. But, you know, music, I'm sorry, money is unfortunately something that we need in order to sustain life to a certain extent, you I know. I wonder what other industry, because you have these skills that are easily, I mean, you just said you apply to over 100 jobs, like skills that are transferable, yeah. that are universal. And yeah, like, absolutely. what other industry would you ideally be most more happy in? I don't know, man. And that's the thing. It's like, what do I want to be when I grow up? You know, I always ask myself that question. I, I still don't know the answer to it. I think the answer is to be happy, as John Lennon once said. Um, you know, I just want to be happy. And um, you know what? For the most part, I am. And I'm extremely blessed and lucky to have the village that I have of people around me that are loving and caring because not everybody has that. I come from a great family. I have a great group of friends. I have, you know, great network of people around me to help if I need. And not everybody has that in this world. And mm-hmm. I need to be understanding of that instead of being such a bitchy, moany person. You know, so, like, you're right. I am living the dream. Um, and I, I got to be more cognizant of that and be more thankful for what I have. Um, sometimes I, you know, find myself in loops of complaining. And um, I got to stop that because, you know, negative thoughts bring negative out, you know, decisions and outlooks and stuff. And, you know, I got to really kind of dial that back in. Sure, sure. What are you uh what are you most proud of on this uh original album? That's a good question. Um I mean, you know, the one song I really like on it, what's my favorite? I really like the way Rock Bottom came out. Um the song I wrote got back when Nikki and I were at the townhouse. It was you know, at that time I was drinking like four or five days a week. We were playing shows everywhere. Um and I was just blacking out constantly. Um you know, really, really boozing hard. And I wrote the song about my struggles with alcoholism and everything. And, you know, off and on for years, I, I always, you know, when I drink, I don't just have one, I have 13. So, 
you know, it's funny because, like, I think back in February, I it was back in February, I pretty much stopped drinking altogether, and now I'll maybe have one or two drinks here or there, very rarely, um, a glass of bourbon and everything like that. So it's good to know that I didn't truly have a problem, but I had to cut myself off completely in order to hit the reset. Anyways, the song Rock Bottom is pretty much just about, like, the battle of, you know, your, your inner demons with with who you are and who you need to be, you know, and that's... um. That's a really good song, but another song on the album is called Breakthrough, um, and it's about dealing with panic attacks and anxiety. Um, you know, and that one, you know, I wrote a while back, but, you know, obviously, you know, I'm sure on your, on your podcast you talk about mental health a lot with your guests and stuff, and I think it's super important, and it blows my mind that, um, you know, in the, in the U.S., that, like, you know, therapy isn't given freely to people, that you have to pay an arm and a leg for. Well, to... it's, 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 it's one thing to even start talking about it with even your own culture or family. Yeah. And then after you realize that you might want help and you start seeking it, how hard, <coughs> how hard or how minimal the access is to some of the stuff. And yeah. insurance comes into play. And sometimes <coughs> there's long, like, wait lines and dude, shit yeah. to get into. So it's... Uh, yeah, it's a it's an endemic in and of itself, right? Yeah, dude, it's sad because it's like you know, if someone needs help, they should get it, and if they're actually trying to seek it, like it should be given to them, you know, um, because that could save a life, you know, um, and I think that's super important. So, like you know, the song "Breakthrough" on my albums, it's real nice. Um, it, you know, it's about about all that. Um, yeah, let me I'll play it for you. Really. Yeah, sure. Actually. Do you want me to grab it for you? Or you... Oh, you know what? It's in the guitar case, unfortunately. We got the light aimed at it. Let's see. Yeah, it's in that little, um, that little center thing. Lift it up, you'll see something black. And at the end of the day, 
like I can barely see You ever feel like, oh, you're about to lose control And at the end of it all, oh, I'm, a, I'm about to explode Here we go But nobody knows but me now Amazing. Yeah. So that's just part of it. But yeah, no, so that one, you know, with that song, though, it was, it was cool to be able to kind of put voice to it and stuff because, you know, that's, again, it's hard to kind of expose myself, right? And yeah, you were, about, you were saying you usually write about other people. Yeah. Right? You know, so like that was one that's really about me, right? So, um, it's hard for me to write about myself, I found. Um, but like, you know, Has I'm it been therapy for you? What? Yeah. It, oh, yeah. Right? Dude, music's super smart. Yeah, absolutely. So the more you... Oh, writing about yourself. Like, has it has that, like, channeled, like... Has that brought any solutions or just, like, other ways of thinking about what you have been going through? You know, it's funny. I, have, I haven't really written much about myself um, to know. Like, I mean, mm. right after my dad died, I wrote a song for him. And it was super cathartic. Was that the piano, right? Yeah, that, that one on the I showed piano. Justine that. She loved that. Yeah, dude, that one, oh I, my I haven't listened to it since I wrote it because I just choke That's up every time sure. I think about it. But, um, yeah, you know, like, uh, it is cathartic in a way, I think. You know, kind of just writing for yourself is super helpful. Um, like, I, I, you know, yeah, I wrote a one of the songs on the album is called Sham Job. It's just about, like, you know, your aggravations with work. And I think everybody could kind of, like, understand that from a from a, you know, pretty solid standpoint um you know that one's obviously from me my frustrations with my previous job i had in property management and it's funny because it's kind of ringing true again but um you know then there's another song on the album called uh past that gaze and that was actually the first single i released out on like the streaming services and i wrote it from so my i was at a job where my two bosses were having an affair mm. and it was an older man and a younger woman I mean, she wasn't underage or anything, but, like, you know, they were, you know, older, but he was, like, old, old, and she was, like, you know, middle-aged. So it was a little bizarre. Anyways, um, they finally, like, sever you know, parted ways, and it ended really bad, um, you know, for the company, too. Um, so I wrote the song, Sweet Goody Two-Shoes. Uh, it's called Pass, this, Pass That Gaze Now, but I wrote that song about her from his perspective. And here are the like, <laughs> So it's, it's hilarious because, like, you know, without, like, kind of, you know, it's always hard to kind of, you know, try to describe it without saying their names. But um, anyway, so, yeah, it's like. Sweet goodie two shoes. Ain't so sweet after all. You seem like you're a nun. You're the devil after all. Act so sweet and innocent But girl, you're far from a heaven sent I'm in deceiving in your own ways But goddamn girl, I can't get past that case Sweet bitter to shoes
like a fireball Girl, you make my heart melt I can't help but stumble and fall Sour like a patch kid You're the worst thing that I ever did You act so sweet and innocent But girl, you're far from a heaven sent Lining the ceiling in your own way Goddamn girl, I can't get their gates sweet good to shoes past their gates yeah sweet good to shoes yeah so yeah that's the part but like you know uh she had red hair so you're hot like a fireball she had red hair so like i'd use the hot like a fireball um, but the part where he says you're the worst thing that I ever did is because they would just like sneak off and like bang all the time at like events and stuff. So it's like, <laughs> it's one of those songs that was like, yeah, that's gotta be on there, you know? Oh my God. Yeah. Oh man. I don't know. Like I love, I love writing music though. It's always been like a good creative outlet for me. And I think throughout the pandemic, like actually recording saved my sanity a lot. Um, I mean, I would sit down here in, in my, my, my room. I mean, you know, I was building the basement out yeah well when the pandemic started i think it was like april oh my after God. the pandemic started and zach and i started in on it down here the whole basement was completely unfinished you know um and him and i framed everything out it took about a year to do everything but we framed everything out got everything completed you know this room is um as i told you it's double walled so like you know i get it's you know you got two frames running opposite ways and uh acoustic paneling inside so like uh you got you know insulation um it's just dead and sound that heads that way out to the rest of the house um the ceiling's double insulated this is a giant air duct that's like kind of right above us and i wrapped that completely so you don't hear any air movement in the room so it's you know perfect so you know we we busted ass to kind of get everything done but once that was done you know i was able to kind of finish the album but most of the album was recorded in this basement unfinished really damp and just had my shit everywhere and it was you know, it's pretty funny. So, I don't know, man. <laughs> where did you, just side tangent, like, how, this is a big undertaking, yeah. right? Like, where did you learn construction? Oh, dude, yeah. So, I mean, you know, I've always been a handy person, uh, oddly enough. So, that's the thing. Like, if I wanted to just start painting houses or some shit, I probably could make a money. <laughs> that's the thing. Like, if I really wanted to, like, just do something on my own, I know I could just simply do it. It's just, you know, the, the undertaking of, you know, what am I going to do? I guess. I don't know. Like, I, I build up furniture on the side for people sometimes. I build shelving for people. I've made, like, that, tables the, upstairs. The lamp, too. Oh, yeah. The, sh- the chandelier. The chandelier. I made that chandelier. I remember. I remember. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, one of the coffee tables in our uh, TV room I made, you know, like, and, you know, again, like, I just, I like building stuff. So, like, you know, the, the sound panel over there. Yeah. Yeah. You could have had, like, a separate IG just for furniture. Yeah. Tons of people do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, and that's the thing. It's like those those are other creative outlets for me. And this the majesty of having ADD. I get bored easily, so I want to do stuff. So, like, I love wor- woodworking. Like, I've always been How, intrigued by it. There's something about working with your hands, or yeah, and music or building things. Something about making something from nothing. Mm-hmm. And you're in full control when you're doing that. Yep. I think it's time to go all in on something like that. I think you're right, dude. I mean, like, I'm just <laughs> yeah. I think I like having control. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's like, you know, all this stuff. Uh, I mean, this under this was a massive undertaking doing this basement. And uh, 
I had like wicked anxiety halfway through it mm. because like the the drywalling was the most drawn out portion, and it took like a month and a half to do. Mm. And um, but like it was just our house was in constant disarray. Like you know it was just dirty upstairs. I had to like mop the floors every single day and vacuum because we were doing all that. And but like when it finally became when it was finally finished. It's just, it's great. You know, like we have an entire second floor to our home now, you know? So when I go to sell, like, I think we're going to be able to make a great income off of this. So, uh, sorry. Um, yeah. So, you know, I don't know, man, like I have all these great creative outlets and it's, I feel like the answer is right in front of me mm. and I just can't figure out what it is, but it's like right under my nose, you know? And it's like, you know, what, what I can do. So, yeah. Cause we, we've already established it's not music. <laughs> we don't want we don't want that ba- that that work life balance in your in your yeah life. you know like with music I I'm also fearful like if I were to go all in on music and it became really burdensome like a job yeah I wonder how I would take that if something that I've loved oh so much ever since I was a child like resent yeah to, to be like what if I don't like this anymore because there was a period of time when Matt Zach and Tom our band right before uh, the pandemic hit it was when we um when we halted. Uh, but we were playing roughly just, just shy of 200 shows a year for like three years leading up to it. And we were working a lot, man. Like I was gone all the time playing and, you know, we were just drinking, having a great time, you know, people, which by the way, people, if you're at a bar and you ask uh, the band, if they would like a drink, just tip them instead. Money goes a lot further than a shot of bourbon. Believe me. (laughs) Um, you know, but like for real, like, uh, it was almost like a blessing for us to take a step back and halt playing because it got to the point where like March, you know, when the pandemic hit, um, we were, March is always a historically busy month for us because none of us are Irish, but we learn mm. about 20 Irish songs because we're on the South side of Chicago. So we make a killing that month, but we play like, I think 12 shows that month or so. And, um, yeah, so, you know, but by the end of it, I was just fried and I just, didn't have that desire to play anymore. And when we would get there, like, fuck, we got to go here again. Like, oh, we got to do this again. It's like, I don't want to have that feeling. I want, I want us to be able to go step onto that stage and have that excitement, you know, that, that like excitement of like, oh, wow, we're going to do this. Like, you know, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be playing full band, you know, at this, uh, at the Tinley Park block party. Mm. And, that's really exciting. I'm like, I'm pumped for that because like we get to play the full band again and we get to like, you know, um, express that way. And it's been a while since I have stepped on the kit. I didn't really have a desire to step back on the drum set at all, Ooh. but back in May we played a wedding and I had to pick up the sticks for the first time in three years, dude. I was mortified. I was like, holy shit. Like I can't remember. I don't remember how to play. Did it come back though? It oh, came thank back, God. Right? But it, took me, it took me a couple of weeks. I was just like, I don't, I don't want to do this. This is bullshit. You know? And then like, you know, when the came time for the wedding, I had a blast. Um, Although, uh, yeah, no, you know, it was it was a great time, and I looked at everybody, I'm like, I'm so happy I don't suck. They're like, we knew you weren't going to suck, Tom. I'm like, yeah, but you don't understand, like, I've been playing piano and guitar for the past three years, and I, you know, our, our last wedding was, like, I think it was 2019, like, early, or early 2020, I think it was, like, in the, like, in January, we played a wedding, and that was, like, the last time I, put, I picked up the sticks, so it's, like, it was rusty, you know, yeah. you know, I yeah, could keep yeah. time, but I can't do the fills like I used to. Like, right. you know, I'm not a flashy drummer anymore. I'm just a pocket drummer, which you could still make a living off of doing that. But yeah, man, I don't know. Um, yeah. So that's always the thing I kind of worry about with, with music. It's like, if I were really to just have to go at it full so tilt. When is this original album coming out? Um, so I'm hoping, man, I'm hoping like, you know, maybe second or third week of July. Hmm. I'm really, really hoping it's coming up. 
It is. What are you yeah. waiting for? What's left? Uh, we just we have about half the album to just mix and master. So gotcha. um, just kind of dial in the tones, the tones, uh, tighten it up as best we can, and then um, then after that, I just got to kick it to uh, to vinyl pressing. So um, I'm doing like I'm doing it through GoFundMe right now, but the albums I'm I'm trying to get the album pressed on vinyl. As you know, I'm a, a big um, you know rec- record collector, so I I love the idea of being able to hold on to something. So one of the reasons why I love vinyls is because it kind of like tells the story for you. So like, you know, you get to see the album cover, the back, you kind of see the, you know, cool imagery, whatever it may be, um, who helped on the album is always kind of nice to see. And then sometimes you get like little fun stuff inside mm-hmm. like vinyl mm-hmm. records, which is awesome. You More know? so than CDs. CDs, you know, always had their little gatefold, like yeah. little sleeve. Um, that's obviously was adapted from the records where like, you know, you get like picture books in the vinyl. Yeah. Like I have a Rolling Stones album. It's called Exile on Main Street. It's, uh, actually my favorite Stones album. Um, that album comes with a bunch of postcards and yeah. they're like postcards with like picture stills from like the album. And it's just super cool to see like that's unique. Like nobody does that shit anymore, you know, <laughs> where or like um, sometimes they would come with posters. Like I have like a Stones album. It's a poster. I think it's called Emotional Rescue. And it has like the poster from like the seventies. That's cool. You know, um, you know, they're they're like old artists would do that all the time. They give you little fun things inside there, or like the sleeve would have like really cool like documentation of the process. And um, I kind of like that. Like it, it kind of brings the song to life. I'm big like into storytelling and uh, understanding the music. So. Like one thing I actually want to do is after I release the album, I'm going to do like a deluxe version where I actually talk about the songs and the meanings behind them, the meaning behind them and like wh- why I make that song. Because it, me as a musician, I kind of like that. Like why, why, is yeah. he, why is that song about what it is or what is, what's the meaning, yeah. meaning of these lyrics, you know? For me, it kind of helps me as just a musician to understand like is it important to actually write meaningful lyrics or can you just write bullshit and get by with it? Which you can. But I just I'm not that type of person, unfortunately. So no, fortunately. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm hoping, man. I'm hoping July. Okay. Um, that we're gonna kick it out. But I have like the GoFundMe on my Facebook and uh, Instagram right now, uh, for people if they want to pre-order the vinyl record. Um, the sooner I hit the the number I hit, the faster I could get it to pressing because it's gonna take like half a year for it to get done. Oh. So um, we'll see. You know. Um. I'm trying to just pretty much it's at cost. Like I'm just trying to get sure. people to pay for it and then I could give it out to them, you know? So we'll see. Is there uh is there some type of tour planned or like how else besides social media do you plan to like share this music? Yeah, you know, it's funny because Kevin and Matt were like, We should probably play these at a few places and then do like an album drop party. I'm like, I didn't even think about that. Doy. <laughs> you know, like come on, Tom. Uh what do you live under a rock? Um but yeah, no, definitely. Um I think once we release it then I'll kind of pick a couple of places to do some pop-up shows and stuff like that, and I'll get all the guys involved and, you know, have them jump on with me, and we'll do it. Right, one. like summertime, like tons, like you mentioned, Tinley Block Party. It's just like in the city, like yeah. neighborhood parties, block parties happening left and right. Oh, yeah, man. The hard thing with getting in the city, and I've always been stubborn with it, is I don't want to use a, a booking agent. Um, I've booked our gigs. I've always bo- booked our gigs for my band effectively since I was 18 years old. And I've always found, why should I pay a middleman to talk to that bar? Is it because they have connections? Yeah, but like I could just jump over that guy and call that bar myself. Why Why would I need him? Why should I pay that guy an extra 20 or, you know, why, why should he get $100 out of our, our money? 
when I could just make a phone call and schmooze the person myself. Fuck that. Like, I'm not paying somebody to do that. That's, but that's the only value they're providing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So part of the reason why I can't get in the city is because all these bars, a lot of them, and all these, you know, festivals, like, you know, like Randolph and all that, um, they go through, like, a booking agency. Uh, is there something about being legitimate to have a booking agent? You know what? You're going to get consistent gigs, but you're still going to get jagged around on price. And again, like that's the thing that always bugged me. It's like I could call up a, a park district or I could call up a village hall and say, hey, what's who's the person that's booking? You know, and I could just hound the person because I know how to do that. I could call them once a week, every week for a month until they pick up the phone and I could send them the information. And I could get us a gig and then I could negotiate pr- uh, effectively for our band for the pricing. Yeah. And instead of taking something off the top, I just split it evenly with my guys because they do a lot of work, you know. Zach obviously sings most of the songs, and Zach fronts, and, and Matt, you know, does a lot of the guitar solos and the heavy lifting there. And I'm like, you know, I'm our supporter. You know, like I play the rhythm guitar and I play cajon, and I sing a few songs too. But like, I feel like my contribution is to get us out there. Mm-hmm. I'm also the more business minded person, you know. So, so yeah, but yeah, I just that whole thing just always pissed me off, you know. And a few of the booking agencies I've worked with. One way or another, they try to dick you around and, you know, you know, they'll try to throw the contract at you. But, you know, thank God my brother's an attorney and has taught me how to kind of find the gray areas and, um, you know, for legal binding documents and, you know, throw it back at them. And, you know, then then they don't want to work with you because you're mm. not not a sheep. Mm. <laughs> mm. So, yeah. Where's uh, where's a, your ideal place to play? I don't know, man. You know. I, we play breweries a lot, which is fun because it's kind of like a family atmosphere at the end of the day. Like, you know, people are drinking craft beer, kind of hanging out. And then you see kids running around. That's kind of fun. Um, you know, we're a pretty family-friendly band. I mean, we we do like playing the festivals, which is fun. We, everyone we do, we end up surprising people, which is cool. You know, we step up on stage. We're an acoustic trio, two guitars and a cajon. And then we blast people with three-part harmonies and effective guitar solos and, like, a backbeat. They're like, holy shit, what is that? Like, <laughs> this sounds like almost like a full band. You know, I love those type uh, those type of situations, you know. Um, but, you know, yeah, man, I just like playing in front of a good group of people. We've played some really shitty bars. We've played some really sketchy areas. And, you know, um, you know, it's, it's just about the outlook, though. It's like, you know. As long as people are paying attention, that's all we care about, mm, you know. Mm, so mm. we'll we'll play some bars where we're there all the time, and we're just built-in background music. And for us, we just call it paid practice. Mm. We run our some new songs that we because we don't get together as much as we used to, like practice-wise, um, because we just learned how to learn songs and then just throw them into sets and just kind of fix them as we go through that way. Um, you know, uh, paid practice, as I say. So like, you know, at some of the bars that we play at frequently, we'll do that there. Mm. That we know that we're pretty low where we could just kind of hop in and like work on a song and uh, work out the kinks. And even though, you know, maybe one or two people will hear and be like, oh, that was dog shit. And then the other people will be like, oh, that's great. What was that? You know, like, but you know, we're just laughing the whole that the, the key is, is if you make a mistake, you smile and you laugh to you, you know, the person to the next, you know, right next to you. That's what I found anyways. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, that's all I had, Tommy. Yeah, right on, dude. No, this is great. I mean, is there anything else you want to, you want to, what's been, you know, I feel like we made some headway. I don't know, dude. This was cool. I'm so glad. I mean, I, I appreciate you coming here. Uh, this was oh, really this cool. is great. Yeah, no, it's this, an honor. Yeah, the setting is cool. I, um, like you, um, 
with the vinyl pressings and seeing the process, like I too am fascinated with how someone gets from point A to point B and to be able to see the behind the scenes of how the magic happens. It's like most people just see the end product and not like everything in between. Yeah, for sure. Um, So I appreciate it. No, dude, hell yeah. You know, maybe we'll do, uh, if if we want to get together again, we could go through the process of actually like a songwriting process, Mm -hmm. you know, and like doing a song from beginning to end mm-hmm. um and like how to how to record it and like kind of what goes into that and um it would could be a fun exercise is like you know you could tell me a letter of the alphabet from a to g and i will uh, I'll, I'll write a that's, song in one of those cool. yeah okay i'm down yeah so you know we'll do that like you know <laughs> give me like a week in advance so it does not complete <laughs> dog shit and then we can make up a topic you know we could like literally you know because i i enjoy those types of ex- exercises so, so- Putting in constraints and like kind of like setting a deadline creates that pressure needed to be creative and like have something yeah. come out of it. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm a I'm a bona fide procrastinator, man. I'm right. guilty as charged with that. If you don't, if one's on a deadline, it's never gonna happen, yep. right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and even sometimes you set the deadline and you don't make it. <laughs> so yeah, man. No, this was really cool, Vic. I appreciate it, man. This is awesome. Also, congratulations on the engagement. I don't think I would oh, officially told you that. Oh no, so, yeah, we're yeah. excited. We're yeah, excited on awesome. the planning process. We've yeah, we were just like, do we want a DJ? Do we want a live band? So you know, I'm hoping to keep stirring that conversation yeah. if you if you going. need us uh you know we'll, we'll be it here. would be an yeah. honor yeah. oh if, man i also do the djing thing too sometimes when we play weddings i just i call myself dj spotify <laughs> i'll create a playlist and you know we just kind of blend through it and then if people want because some people for, want those like cliche classics oh, God, right? yeah. so like when we would do the receptions uh for the full band stuff i would tell them we'll play a full hour and we'll take a, a 30 minute break to do mp3 music oh, right so people could kind of get that taste of that and then we'll jump back in for our last hour of full band music and then you know for the, like the closing down and stuff then we'll play another 30 minutes perfect. Of it. yeah, yeah it's, it's a good blend from what i found okay yeah that's kind of like the routine i found but you know i've also dj'd weddings too where it's just straight that and it's also effective yeah you know a lot less equipment to lug around too <laughs> so where are you guys thinking about going somewhere in the city we're checking out our first place tomorrow bridgeport art center oh that's really cool yeah i've been yeah, there yeah. before so right. we're we're navigating that i think we're, we're looking at a guest list and i think that'll dictate the food and the sure. venue and all that stuff so yeah we'll see i mean a, a few friends that i've been talking to are like well they are taking the money that they would spend on a wedding on a down payment and just end up spending that money or you know having the reception at their house at yeah. their newly bought house um whereas oh. like some people say like they only made half of what they spent on the wedding Oh, Marty shared that he made, if not most, if not all, you know, maybe yeah. of his cost. So yeah, I'm, yeah, we ended up making like, but, like you can't, you can't expect, more. right? Oh, for real? Good yeah. for you guys. Yeah. So right, but like well, we also, you know, did like you know, Nikki's Polish, and we got a big family, so we had just shy of three hundred people there. I think it was like two ninety five. It was was really, that overwhelming? Um, dude, our wedding, man, it was a fucking blast. Like we were twenty three and twenty four at the oh, time. Wow. We were young. We had a, a party. I think we had over thirty people in our bridal party, or just shy of thirty. Like, you know, I had like 14 of my best buds and then she had like all her people. But I had like, of course, include her cousins and my her brother-in-law in my in my mix. So I couldn't have a couple people that I wanted in. But it doesn't matter at the end of the day. It's just the day, you know, the amount of time and effort you put into your wedding. It's it's kind of crazy because you think about it. It's just one day. <laughs> and then you got the rest of your life after that. You yeah. know, it's like it's it's kind of like not as important as people think but it's for the woman you know it's it's for your wife you know to have a beautiful magical day anyways it, yes it was a little overwhelming especially with us being younger 
Um, you know, again, like at that point I was working at the bank, barely making any coin. We were literally having to save up everything. I remember paying $4,000 for flowers and then just putting a knife in my chest, like, fuck, this is hard, <laughs> you know, like, um, cause our parents, you know, they each, you know, gave us like X amount of dollars and they said, but you guys got to pay for the rest. This is what we're offering up. And we said, okay, that's, that'll get us most of the, you know, halfway there and we'll take care of the rest. But, um, when it came time to a man, Everybody was very generous. You know, like I said, we ended up making uh, making money back on it. Because at the end of the day, your wedding is, you know, it's a it's a cash grab. You know, give everybody a good time and hope that you make a profit on it. You're throwing a big party. I just you can't know? have that expectation, you know. You should. You know, find people that are rich and have, invite <laughs> them to your wedding, you know. <laughs> No, but like for real, man, like it was a, it was a blast though. Like, you know, we had Polish traditional dancing there. We did some goofy Italian stuff. Um, then we had like a rager, uh, Mike Scroben fell on his head. Oh, no. Um, we brought white castles in halfway through, you know, it was, it was a great time. It was a zoo, but, uh, no, man, you'll have a great time. The one thing I could recommend about your wedding and I tell everybody about this at some point in the evening, take a point to step back, like even sit at the head table with you and your wife once you guys are married and just sit there and look at everybody in the room because mm. it's important to do that because those people are in the room are the people that are sharing that day with you because they love you. You know, it may not be at a big capacity, but it could be, but those people are there willing to be there to celebrate that moment in your life. And that's like super important. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for us to have over 295 people that were willing to be in a room with us, that was super magical. How many did you invite then? Uh, about three fifteen. Oh, oh, that's t that's close. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We were kind of we were, we were we were actually worried that it would get over three hundred because the hall couldn't go over three hundred. Gotcha. But we figured like you know not everybody's gonna make it. But then most of them did. We're like, oh shit, you know. But um, yeah, no, that's like just if I could ever recommend just taking a step back and just kind of like watching everybody yeah. around you. But man, I remember standing at that altar. I was scared shitless though. Well, same thing with proposing. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. I almost dropped my ring in the water. Yeah, well, you're by the water, too. I was worried about that, too. Yeah. It was a Did wind, you windy day. It's like a thousand times? No, I had it in my backpack. So we, it was a planned photo shoot. Oh, cool. And uh, and it was where I've done many photo shoots before. And I just had her like, you can stand there. I'm just going to take some practice shots. And I think at that point, she knew what was going to happen. Nice. And uh, I was just fidgeting with my bag. And we had a small window because there was a bunch of people walking back and forth. And I knew my photographer, you know, that small window I needed to do it then and there if looking back I would have taken my time instead of t taking the ring out maybe taking a camera out just like no nah, I'm not proposing it's just it's just, a, yeah, it's just, just the camera right? yeah yeah uh, yeah but you know it, everything did go according to plan so that's awesome man all I can ask for that's super cool so we're excited yeah. have you talked about this yet on your podcast yet not not to this extent um, but it's it's out there do you mm -hmm. ever talk a lot on your podcast I, mean, I felt like I just talked the entire fucking time right yeah <laughs> I just felt like I just rambled. That, yeah, I. That's the point. You're the guy. Yeah, I know, but like I like to hear what you have to say. You know. Yeah. Uh. No, not really. This is how it usually goes. Okay, gotcha. That's. I. Yeah. I, I ask the questions to be so open ended that, um, whatever spills out spills out, yeah. and then my job is to connect the dots from what I can pull out of you. Sure. That's all. No, well, that's cool, man. Yeah, I um, I'm excited for you guys. Uh, you know, I'm glad that you found happiness. I think that's important. You know, um, and just having, um, that a partner in your life that you could trust and love is super important. You know, I've been with Nikki since I was about 19 years old. I wow. want to say, and what we're 30, I'm 33 today. 
Oh, yeah, I know. I didn't even say happy birthday. Oh, yeah, thanks. On, sure. yeah. on the pod, oh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thirty-three today. <laughs> what a great day. Yeah, dude, it's cool. Just took the day off to do the, you know, this with you. I'm excited, man. Like you're like, you really want to do this? Today? I'm like, hell yeah, dude. This is exciting. Like I miss the Bub Boys podcast. I miss talking on them. I love hearing my the sound of my own voice, and you have such a soothing <laughs> voice. Like yeah, I I would love you to read me a book at night. You know, like I yeah. I've honestly thought about that, dude. I I constantly think about doing voiceover stuff. Yeah, yeah. I got this stuff here to do it. And be like. A long time ago, in a land not so far away, is a white castles. You know, <laughs> where shit flows constantly. You know, like I, I can the low baritone voice. Yeah. Right, right. But right, um, right. yeah, man. Uh, but you know, I'm lucky to have Nikki as long as I have, and um, you know, we took our time having kids because number one, we were extremely young at that point, didn't have a pot to piss in, but. You know, when we first got married, like, our first year was actually pretty rough. She was working nights. Mm. I was working at a shit job. And we literally just saw each other in passing. As mm. she said, mm. two boats in the night. <laughs> two boats crossing in the night. But, like, you know, um, it was great, though, because, like, we, you know, in order to build, you know, I always say, like, in order to build a house, you got to have a foundation first, right? If you're building a family, you got to have that foundation first. So that starts with you and your partner. Mm. So if you got a rocky foundation, don't add a child to that because it's mm. just going to fucking topple over. It's going to be even more stressful. Um, everybody's different. Some people just uh, patch up their marital issues with children and compounds and makes it worse. But, you know, who am I to fucking judge? Um, but, like, you know, for us, it was like, let's take our time. Let's get through our, you know, 20s. Because the 20s are meant to be that selfish period, you know? Um, whereas, like, you know, we, we, we had our fun. My hangover started lasting about a day or two. So I was like, fuck this. Let's, I'm ready to have, have a kid yeah. and be a dad now. I'm done being selfish. You know, the hard thing is to think about too with having kids um, is to understand that like once they come into life, it's not about you anymore. Mm-mm. You know, it's, it's about them and being responsible for them. And for me, I, I, I used to be a very selfish person. I'm trying not to be anymore, but I find myself being from time to time. But, I knew once my child would come that I knew that that point in my life, that chapter in my life is gone. I, I knew that I couldn't be selfish anymore. So like I, I always kind of like pushed off as long as I could. But then I told myself like, why are you pushing that off? Like, you know, life's about growth. It's about, you know, learning and understanding and, and things like that. And, you know, when it finally happened, I was like, man, why didn't I do this sooner? You know, sometimes you just got to rip off the bandaid and not be what, afraid. I mean, what, what led you to that level of self-awareness? Dude, I, I you know... Because there are a lot of dads that are still yeah. probably selfish. Yeah, oh yeah, dude. I mean, you know, I, it drives me nuts when parents say that they're babysitting their own kid. It's like, you dumb fuck, you made that child. Oh you my are, God. You are you're watching your child. You're not babysitting. So, um, you know, for me, dude, I, I do a lot of like... Uh, self-reevaluation like a lot of a lot of centering a lot of like um soul searching um you know i've been i I go i've been doing therapy for a long time for my panic attacks Mm. um yeah like off and on for a couple of few years um i stopped for a while but um from what i found through that though is being honest with yourself and if again like if you can't be honest with yourself and you can't be kind to yourself how do you expect to be like that towards others you know all those components make you a better person and make you a more self-aware person. But I will tell you, there was a point where I was like in therapy and I was like understanding so much mm. and like all these thoughts and processes were like blowing through my brain that like I almost became like too afraid. I became very like afraid of over <clears throat> over understanding yeah. everything. Like it was it was scary at one point. Like I felt like my third eye opened up a little bit. 
and I like saw like the world and like the universe for like what it is, and it, it's scary. Even more overwhelming. Oh, dude, yeah, because like I was just, and I, I, I that's actually when I stopped therapy for a little bit. Mm. I was like, I need to take a break. She goes, Why? I'm like, I'm just like understanding too much about like the world around us, the way people act, and like what you know what our core you know necessities are and like just all these things kind of happen now i was like kind of got a little too scared about knowing too much so what do you look at how do you look at it now do you look at it more as like a privilege to be able to see that much i do um and i also think that it's important to turn it on and off when you need to Hmm. you don't want to carry it with you all the time and think about existential dread and you know and things you can't control because i would worry that was the thing it's like i start to worry about things that are out of my control and that's sometimes panic attacks would happen from that as, um, you know, being out of control of situations uh, and not being able to help or something. But guess what? There's just things in life that we can't put our hands on. So many. Yeah. Right. It's just like people More ask. More than you can. It makes me think like, so like when shit's like, is the war still going on in Ukraine? Like, or yeah. like Taiwan's worried about China or, you know, my parents are from Burma, like shit's still going on in Burma. Like yeah. shit is hitting the fan everywhere around the world. And like, if you let it, it can cripple you from letting you Dude, live yeah. your own daily life. Yeah. Here we are like, and we, but it is important to acknowledge the privilege, Absolutely. right? To be able to sit and have a podcast and stuff like that. Um, but if you let it, it can definitely cripple you from living dude yeah absolutely i mean i remember when the the war in ukraine first came out you know it started happening nikki was like um absolutely beat down about it because you know she has um her father's russian but he's actually was born in morocco he's born in africa uh or just he, he went there at a very young age anyways um she was like completely beat up by it and she was like what you aren't and i'm like you know nikki i I, that's completely out of my control. And I'm like, this may sound selfish for me to say, I'm like, unfortunately, I can't go there and help them. I can't, I can't make a difference with them. But what I can do is I can control my life and take care of you and our son and, you know, continue putting food on our table and doing all that. Like, I can't let that weigh me down, unfortunately, because it will beat the shit out of me. Kind of what I'm like, I just, you know, I'm very aware of the situation going on over there, but yeah, like, I right. can't let it cripple me because it's like, you know, I have a problem letting things go already. (laughs) Wherever you look, whether it's like in the heart of the pandemic, right? It's Mm -hmm. just like, do you really not let, yeah, it's just like, you can let things cripple you. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's hard because there are other people that have this, I don't know if this is the right term, but like this hero complex to try to save the world. Mm -hmm. And they are triggered every time they see something is not fitting their perspective yeah they're like if someone they see someone doing something wrong it's just like you're not doing it wrong and it's just like they feel compelled to fix yeah what's wrong even though it's like way out of their control yeah man yeah i I get that all the time and it's also kind of like one of those self-reflecting things where you talk about like you know what was i actually put here on earth to do they just uh, another cog in the wheel you know right like some part of fulfillment is derived from a sense of purpose and and if someone feels compelled that like my purpose here is to let's say for example one that comes to mind because i had a guest on that that is from the bicycling community is like the whole cycling versus uh fellow had long hair right car (laughs) what he had long hair oh yeah yeah, 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 eric eric yeah, yeah yeah and and i follow one of these other pages that is just like it just feels like cancel culture they just keep putting this one restaurant on blast because they have this car parked in, in a bike lane and stuff or like putting oh the usps on blast because they wouldn't move like they actually had a standstill like a biker sat in front of the usps truck because they wouldn't get out of the way <laughs> and it's just like it's like two immovable objects kind yeah. of thing and uh 
yeah i know i mean it's probably yeah. frustrating for both sides yeah. and um yeah, it's hard it's i don't know you can let it get to you <laughs> i feel like with that situation aren't there more important things in life to worry about between those two and maybe yeah. when bicycling is your world it's yeah. like that is your life you man know? i used to ride all throughout chicago uh i got doored once yeah me yeah, too. yeah yeah i um so i get it you know stay in your fucking lane cars you know absolutely um but yeah no people need to be more aware of bicyclists i i totally agree with that though um i used to ride everywhere Right, and then and then as more bike lanes are coming uh, coming up, then more less and less street parking is is available, and yeah. it's just like you got to just maybe spend extra fifteen minutes circling the block looking for parking. But I mean, what if you are an Uber Eats driver? What if you are just delivering mail and yeah. you just need to pull over? It? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's um, uh, it's an impasse. I think I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I don't know either, man. <laughs> so, but you know, I mean, gosh, I could keep talking with you about existential crisis. You used the word earlier about imposter syndrome, but I won't go back to that. But uh, that is as, something. As far as musician? No, um, actually, with like with my career, mm. I feel that sometimes being in the position that I'm in. Why is that? Um, because I was brought up to a, a higher level, and um, I thought like, am I supposed to be here? But yeah, I've been doing this for almost a decade. Mm. I know, I know everything. Like, well, not everything, but you don't never know everything. But I know enough to be in this position. Why do I feel like I shouldn't be here? Mm. And, like, you know, that's one of those conversations I always have with myself, you know. Um, it's humbling in a way. Yeah. Um, but it's also fucking menacing because it's like, I know I'm capable. Mm. I damn well know I'm capable. And, but I'm getting in the way of myself. And nine times out of ten, us as humans, the only reason why we don't do things or, like, you know, excel at something is because of ourselves. Mm-hmm. We are our mm-hmm. own worst enemies a lot of the time. Yeah. So. I agree. So. You know what? I'm going to end us with yeah. uh, that song, Female Ejaculation. Take us away. <laughs> so the one thing we talked about, which, um, we talked about this before the, before the podcast, is when I first started writing music, I would only write like funny songs because, you know, being like a clever individual, if I do say, well, say, so say myself or say so myself, whatever the fucking words are, um, I found it easy to write funny songs. Um, but then when I started actually trying to like write poetry and write seriously, I constantly had writer's blocks because I would always want to talk about like, you know, women coming on my face or, you know, like, uh, you know, boners and farts and stuff like that. So try writing a love song about boners and farts. Anyways, this was the song that when I first started playing music, um, when I first started playing music, that like was a smash hit with all with all my high school friends and college friends. So, so me and this girl, you know, we, we were a '69 and and you know, yeah, oh yeah. I must have been doing something right Because when we came, yeah We didn't come a little She came a lot You could come on my face and on my mouth Come on my wallet and on my couch Do it anytime, anytime at all Girl, I lick that pussy till I break my jaw Till I break my jaw Girl, you squirt so much that Your nickname should be Squirtle And you know when no one's home You masturbate with a turtle named Myrtle 
And when you're coming all over him And that shit trips right down his shin And you look real fine, fine Like sparkling white wine You could come on my face and on my mouth Come on my wallet and on my couch Do it anytime, anytime at all Girl, I lick that pussy till I break my jaw Till I break my jaw <laughs> That was awesome. Bet you never had somebody on the podcast sing about female ejaculation. Before. No, that's a first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Anyways, check out my... Uh, Check out my album, Speak Your Mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's not about female gender. You are definitely. Is that a, what would you title this episode? Oh, fuck. You, 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 want, you want to use the album? Speak Your Mind. I Whatever. Think yeah. Yeah. Speak Your Mind is the name of the new album. So it does not have the female ejaculation song on it. Although it may be a bonus track on the inner part of the vinyl. Could you imagine <laughs> the, that you peel the vinyl the, back <laughs> and then it would be the <laughs> right there? The deluxe version. Yeah, the deluxe version. <laughs> uh, no, yeah. So the name of the new album is called Speak Your Mind. And. Uh, yeah, it's gonna be a cool title. Alright, we're done. Sure. I'll do it. Alright, All right, guys. We'll see you in the next one. Bye. Oh, I can have that one. Alright, bye. <laughs> <laughs>